a little bit where we're going the next couple weeks. Um, next Sunday kicks off our yearly uh, missions focus. And so um, next Sunday, I'll be preaching on the lost coin. And then the following week, uh, we'll have a guest with us. His name is Juan Hernandez. Can't wait for you to meet Juan from Colombia. Uh, he is currently with his family in the States right now. First time to the States. They're actually in Georgia, and they saw snow this weekend. So they are quite excited. Can't wait for you to meet Juan and his family. And then uh, the last week of our three-week emphasis, Alex will be preaching on the lost son. So come next week. Come ready. Come ready to be challenged that the Lord might stir our hearts as it relates to mission at Trinity. Let's pray. Father, we, we now turn our attention to the preaching of your word and Lord, <clears throat> we just recognize that this is, this is a supernatural moment, Lord, where you by your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, there's nothing about that that's natural. Lord God, I pray that you would, where there is darkness, turn the lights on in our hearts. Lord, where there is apathy, stir our affections for you. Lord, where, as it has already been prayed, but where we need to be restored, restore our hearts to you. And may this be a place that is celebrating the joy of salvation. Lord, thank you. You are a good and gracious king. Lord, thank you for the truths that we have been singing already this morning. Lord, in so many ways, we have sung the sermon. And Lord, you be glorified. You be magnified. You be praised. Lord, as we continue forward in, in our time together through the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Title this morning is Contrasting Cities, and this is another, well, it's not as big of a chunk as last week, but it's still a pretty big chunk. We're actually covering chapters 24 through 27. Contrasting Cities. St. Augustine once wrote a book called The City of God in the 5th century. He wrote The City of God to build up his fellow Christians who had just been destroyed by the Visigoths' attack on Rome in 410 A.D. The book, City of God, is a classic, but I've got to confess to you, I've never read it. I've wanted to read it. It's kind of been on that, like, back burner, need to read, want to read. I hate to say it, but probably for about 15 years. I know enough about it that it feels like I've read it. (laughs) So let me tell you, here's the basic premise of the book. It's that there are two cities, the city of God and the city of man. Will you pursue the city of man with its fleeting pleasures of sin, Hebrews 11? Or will you pursue the city of God with its pleasures that are forevermore, Psalm 16? We all live for one of those two cities, One lives life with God at the center, and one lives life with values of the world at the center. One will pass away. One is eternal. One pursues God. One rejects him. One glories in self. One glories in God. 
One will be exposed to be vain and empty and one will be revealed to be eternal and worthwhile. One pretends religion and might even call oneself Christian. One lays down its life for Christ. These two cities are worlds apart. The specific nations of chapters 13 through 23, 13 to 23 are chapter after chapter of specific nations that are being judged by the Lord. Here, beginning in chapter 24, it's almost as if Isaiah puts on the wide angle lens and takes a, takes a photo from a distance. So it's much more broad. At this point, starting in chapter 24 and the surrounding sections moving forward, isn't to a specific nation. It's to the whole world. It's, it's as if all the nations are now lumped together in one worldly city. Look at, at uh, chapter 24 with me. Verse number one. Excuse me, verse number 12. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. Again, chapter 25, verse two. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. And we could show other places with the same theme. That city of man is being contrasted with that city of God. So Isaiah is comparing and contrasting the two cities. To, to live for the city of God is to trust in him. This is what we're gonna see this morning. To live for the city of God is to trust in him by waiting, obeying, and worshiping him while we live in the city of man. The city of man, the city of God, and the call to feast in the Lord. Have you ever noticed we love to feast? We love to feast. We barely get done with the feast and we start planning for the next feast. We call them parties. Let's eat. And it's amazing. Did you know, of course you know, that that feasting centered around food takes place around the world. All cultures know how to party. And when they party, bring the food. It's gonna look different in different cultures, but they all bring the food. We know how to feast. Can you imagine if you were throwing a party this afternoon? Ladies, imagine you're throwing a party this afternoon and you had no food. Is it a party? We know how to feast. Think about how much of our lives are focused on the next feast. Kim and I have a saying. Actually, it was Kim's saying. I've kind of started to own it as my own. When she used to say on her birthday, it was her birthday week. That has now turned into the birthday month. 
and we think that's appropriate. We encourage you to have a birthday month. We like to feast. We like to party. Birthday parties, anniversary celebrations, Thanksgiving, Christmas, July 4, New Year's Day, Super Bowl, weddings, baby shower, bridal shower, and much, much more. Clearly, we like food. We like to eat and we like to feast. Look at chapter 24, verse number one. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. That doesn't sound like a feast. Look at verse three. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Look at verse five. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Look at verse seven. And following, the feasting has ended. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. It's the city of man. Under the judgment of the Lord. It is to say that this world, the city of man, loves to party, loves to feast, but the feast will end. It will come to a close. And the wasted city, verse 10, is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter it. Verse 11, there's an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. Chapter 24 is to be contrasted with chapter 25. Chapter 24, the city of man under the judgment of God. Chapter 25, the, re, the remnant redeemed people of God rejoicing and celebrating in that eternal feast. That's what Alex read to us just a few moments ago. Look again, chapter 25, verse one. Oh Lord, you are my God. See the contrast? I mean, right out, right out of the gate between 24 and 25. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city of ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress. Look at verse six again. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his peoples. Who, who makes for all his peoples? The Lord of hosts makes for all his people. You, you realize this is, this is the prophet Isaiah saying, the Lord serves you. The Lord of hosts makes for all peoples. He is serving us. And in chapter 25, this is the this victorious, celebrant, worshipful moment for the redeemed people of God. And God himself is found to be the one serving. Wow. 
the Lord of hosts, makes. Listen, this is not a victory song about you. This is not a victory song about me. It's not a victory song about us. This is not praise be to us. This is not praise be to, to Trinity Community Church. This is not the victory song that's being sung. This is a victory song to the Lord because it's the Lord who makes the feast. It's not celebrating our strengths. It's not celebrating our accomplishments. It is praise be to God. Celebrate the Lord. And it says what? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Did you catch that? You, we've been tracking through Isaiah. You, you, you might have caught that. That's, that. That is, again, Isaiah, as a prophet, that's, that's language to say the invitation is going out to all the nations, Gentile nations. You are invited to this feast that the Lord himself is preparing for his people. The invitation goes out to all races. The invitation goes out to all ethnicities. The invitation goes out to all the nations, all the people. And did you notice how lavish it is? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well and refined. It is to say, God, when he serves up the feast, he lays out the absolute best. It is lavish. It is rich. It is full of marrow, aged wine, well-refined, rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, it says. Who's, who's preparing the feast? God himself. Oh, what a contrast. Do you remember 24, chapter 24? The city is ruined. The city of man, the city of God. It's a lavish feast. It's for all people. But it's also a forever feast. And he will swallow up on this mountain the, the covering that is cast over all the people. That's, that's a picture of death. He will swallow up death. It's where when Paul, we're familiar in 1 Corinthians 15, that's the chapter about the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes during Easter, we preach 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then all of us should be pitied. And he ends that with quoting this verse right here. When he's saying, death has been swallowed up in victory, he's quoting Isaiah 25. You know, we sang that this morning. Like how, how good for my soul as we started to sing what we're gonna be preaching this morning. He will swallow up on this mountain. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Ah, that sting is gone. Death has been defeated. Christ has accomplished the victory over our sin and death. Praise be to God. Isaiah is prophesying of that day. He's looking forward. Paul's looking backward. Not very long backward. 
of how Christ will come upon on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all the people. He will swallow up death and defeat. Verse eight, he will swallow up death forever. It's a forever feast that God's preparing for you, for the redeemed people of God. And the Lord, how personal does this get? And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. It's a victorious feast. It's a forever feast. And it's a personal feast. And, uh, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. What a contrast from chapter 24. And so, verse 9. Let's sing. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. We waited. He was worth the wait. Let's sing. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us celebrate our God. Let us feast together in this great, victorious, lavish banquet table of the Lord. It's what every Sunday at Trinity is to be about. Every Sunday, living in the city of man, we live for the city of God. We gather together Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for this, to sing to our great God in all that he's accomplished. The redeemed people of God here, they're gathering together to celebrate God. The redeemed are singing. They're a rejoicing people. Even in, even in the pain, even in the distress, even in the sadness that comes with living in the city of man. The people of God in the city of God worship him with singing. We sing of his victory and faithfulness while we're aware of the city of man failures and defeats. Now let's look to the New Testament a minute. Speaking of feasting, celebrating. Did you know Jesus enjoyed feasting and celebrating? Many think of Jesus as a killjoy, but no. Jesus loved to feast. It drove the religious people of his day mad. They called him a drunkard and a glutton. Imagine calling Jesus, the son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, a drunkard. John chapter two centers around this feast. It was a wedding. It was a wedding party. The wine has run out. And Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. His mother, Mary, they have no wine. Jesus says to her, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. I find Mary's response to Jesus interesting. What does this have to do with me? It's not my time. Mary responds to the servant, servants, do whatever he tells you. I think there's some backstory to that. Do whatever he tells you. What does this have to do with me? It's not my time. Do what he tells you. He's saying, why are you looking at me? It's not my time. 
And you know what he's doing? He's living. He's fulfilling Isaiah 25. Walk with me here. He's literally the already and the not yet of Isaiah 25. He says, it's not my time. And then what's he do? He does the miracle. What's the meaning? Jesus tells the servants, fill the jars of water. They did, turns to wine. Let me read to you beginning in verse seven of John two. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this honors the master of the feast. Hey, you kept back the better wine. What a host this guy is. They th they're saying, they're thinking. Most give the best wine up front. That's the already. This is the good wine. And then they dig out the junk wine towards the end, the leftover wine. When the good wine had run out, that's the not yet, the bad wine. But you, you know how to throw a party. You know how to feast. You know how to celebrate. We thought the first wine was good wine. We thought the already wine, we thought this life was the best life now. And it's good wine, this life that God has served up for us. Living in the city of man. What a great life it is to live for the city of God while we live in the city of man. It's good wine, but what Jesus is showing and fulfilling from Isaiah 25 is I'm holding back your best wine. Best wine's coming. This life is good wine, but then you brought out the better wine, the not yet life, the already wine, really good, really good. We thought it was your best wine, the not yet life. We had no idea. You think life in Christ is good now? Christian, life in the city of man is good wine now. Oh, but you wait. Jesus is saying, yes, what you're tasting in the first wine is good now, but wait for it. There will be a day when I will be the host and I will bring you to my banquet table and I will serve up for you the very best wine. The, the wedding feast is Jesus saying, the best is yet to come. In our home, in one of our guest rooms, Kim has hung a sign for our guests and it simply says, welcome to Titusville. The best is yet to come. That's right. We love Titusville. It's gonna get better. <laughs> That's the Christian life of the already 
living in the city of man for the city of God and the not yet, the city of God. You have the wine of Christ while you live here in the city of man and yet the best wine, it's yet to come. You have been given a taste of heaven, a right now feast, a taste of Christ, a Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. But brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ this morning, the best is yet to come. It's Revelation 21, so we can go to the end of the book. He starts to give us a picture. John, John's vision in Revelation is telling us the best is yet to come. Here's how he puts it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the city of man. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the city of God, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every, away every tear, sounds like Isaiah 25, from their eyes and death shall be no more, sounds like Isaiah 25. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The old wine, well, we're done with that. Isaiah here is calling us to the feast of the Lord, meaning he's calling us to live in the good of all that he provides, all that the gospel of Jesus Christ provides. And we saw it in verse six, he provides himself. He's the one who's preparing the banquet. He's the one that we are to look to, that we worship. It provides an invitation. It goes out to everyone this morning. Everyone who can hear my voice this morning, the invitation to come to that feast in that day, you are invited. And it will be a lavish feast, verse number six. And it will be a feast that will never end, verse, never, verse number eight. And it will be a feast of therefore. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord, verse number nine. Reject the city of man and all of its lust and all of its desires and all of its shiny glimmer because it will one day be exposed for what it is. Live for the city of God while we live in the city of man and feast in the Lord and all that he offers, all that he provides. Number two, the city of man, the city of God and the call to trust in the Lord. That's really chapter 26. It's a call to trust in the Lord. S chapter 26, the song continues. In that day, verse one, this song will be sung. The song continues. And the song is a song of trusting in God. Trusting God for what? For your salvation. While you're living in the city of man. Trust in God for your salvation while you're living in the city of man. There are two cities spoken of here in chapter 26. Verse number one is the everlasting, the strong city. Look here, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. 
he sets up. Salvation is that city. Its walls, its bulwarks are salvation. He sets up, it says, the salvation. Well, that's contrasted with verse five. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it. Church, we are born into verse five, the city of man. So the question of chapter 26, how do we make our way to the verse one city of God where he is setting up salvation? How how do we come to salvation? Glad you asked. Verse two. See if any words get repeated, any themes get repeated, two through four. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, but he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I mean, we see the word trust there a couple times, but the, the overall theme is this faith, trust stayed on you. There's really a lot of repetition, though it's using some different words. This is not, I will enter the city of God because I have worked so hard. God will recognize all that I've done and I will be invited into the city of God. This is not, I have earned my way into the city of God. No, these verses are showing us the gospel. No, it is trust in God. Trust in his work. Put your faith not in yourself, not in your abilities, not in your accomplishments, but trust in his work that he accomplished by bringing the city of God into the city of man. How did he do that? Christ came and took on human flesh. The city of God came to the city of man. It's not a wonder as we read the gospels that we find Jesus standing in front of individuals, some believing, some doubting. And what does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is standing right before you. The city of God has come to the city of man because God has come to accomplish what you and I couldn't accomplish because we could have never made our way to the city of God. The city of God had to make its way to us and he had to accomplish what we could not. And he did so. And he lived a perfect life. He lived a righteous life and he went to the cross and was crucified on the cross. The only one who could say innocent of all charges. The city of God came to the city of man to redeem man so that man could then respond in faith and trust stayed on you whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, trusts in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The 
kingdom of God is here. This is no call to Christian laziness. This is obey God. This is we demonstrate that our mind is stayed on you by obeying you. We demonstrate our trust and our faith in God while we live in the city of man for the city of God. Listen to verse 7. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. In the path of your judgments. This is to say, live according to his judgments. This is not, we've said so much already in Isaiah, judgment, the wrath of God. That's not what's being said here. This is, this is to say, live according to his judgments, meaning live according to his ways, live according to his wisdom. Live according to the righteousness that's been granted to you. This is no call to Christian laziness. There's two errors that we make as we live for the city of God. The first error is that we obey God in an effort to get something from God. Let's just recognize that when we do obedience to then get something from God, all as we're doing is manipulating. We think, oh, I need to live for the city of God. I better make an effort to serve the king, to gain the king's approval. This is an attempt to earn grace, but we don't earn grace. He is a gracious king and he lavishly provides the feast for us. Keep your mind stayed on him. This is legalism. The second error is the other side of the coin. It flips over to the other error and it thinks, okay, I will trust in God and do nothing because of grace. Because I've been given grace, Lord knows I don't want to be legalistic. So I'm not going to do anything. That's license. That's laziness. But to live for the city of God is to serve God by putting faith into action. Godly obedience done out of a heart that says, I want to worship you. I trust you, Lord, for my salvation. I trust you. I joyfully lay down my life. I gladly submit to your ways. That's what living in the city of man for the city of God looks like. The life that says, I believe in Jesus and so I'm gonna do what I wanna do is a way to say, I don't believe in Jesus. It's to say, I don't trust in Jesus. How odd to pretend to trust in Jesus for salvation's sake and be unwilling to trust in him with our obedience as a response to that salvation. You see, lack of obedience or indifference or just lazy Christianity is to betray your faith. And the best thing I can lovingly do is to tell you, you don't believe in Jesus. 
Sure you believe he existed? Sure you believe that Jesus is a real historic person? You might even believe that he rose from the grave. But you don't trust him. You don't trust his words. You want enough of Jesus just in case. Just in case there's a hell. But lay down my life for him? I don't think so. You don't trust in Jesus. I'd rather feast now in the city of man. I'd rather think that the wine being served now is the best wine and the junk, junk wine is coming later. It's not new. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. It was a trust issue. They made the final call. They decided even though God said one thing, our wisdom is best, we will live for the city of man. Verse eight and nine, in the pass of your righteousness, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. It's a call to live in the city of man while we display God to that city. We do this by submitting to him, obeying him. We do this by living for him. You're familiar, many of you are familiar. The New Testament says it like this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. In other words, we're to live our lives in such a way that says, let me show you the better city. We're to live in the city of man for the city of God in such a way that is a display to the city of man. Here's the better wine. Here's the better feast. Our, our lives ought not say, look at me. Look at my little more morality than the rest of you. Look at my, look at how I live a little more religiously than the rest of you. The world doesn't need that false Christianity. The world needs to look at the church. The blood-bought brother, sister, saved in Jesus Christ, feasting in the Lord, Christian, and say, wow, where do I get some of that? It needs Matthew 5. Light shining worship of living out our faith before others. In verses 11 then through 19, we won't go through all these. But later on, notice that there are four O Lords. Verse 11, 12, 13, and 16. These are cries. These are prayers to the Lord of the city while living in the city of man. I just want to note for you verse 12, this cry. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us for you have indeed done for us 
all our works. <laughs> if that doesn't point you to Jesus and the gospel, I don't know what does. And then he says, like a verse 17, like a pregnant woman who rises and cries out in, in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth. The inhabitants of the world have not fallen. What in the world? Like a pregnant woman? Meaning, like a woman who could not make her own delivery happen, she has no choice but to wait and trust that her body will do what it was created to do. Nor are you, nor am I. We are unable to make our own deliverance happen. The point is that we're to trust God and live for the city of God while we're living in the city of man, waiting for the good wine yet to come. One day, the city of man will end, but the redeemed will be able to say, chapter 26, verse one, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Last point, living in the city of God is to live in celebrant and victorious worship. I'm gonna go ahead and ask the worship team if you would join me. Verse number one of chapter 27. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Leviathan represents the powers of man in the city of man. It represents all that the city of man represents. All worldliness, all its lust, desires, wickedness, all the evil that is best described as a monster. Leviathan. Worse than human, Isaiah uses mythological imagery in the ancient world to best describe this beast. It's chapter 27 is an entire chapter devoted to God soundly defeating Leviathan. God will defeat the dragon of the sea, meaning evil will be soundly defeated. The wisdom of this world and all that glimmers will be victoriously defeated. And God will redeem a people from the city of man. And he soundly defeats the Leviathan and all that that represents. See, this is no cosmic battle. We're not at the edge of our seats wondering who's gonna win the victory. We're not wondering. We're not fearful. We're not concerned. We're not in suspense. Who's got the upper hand at some given moment? The monster, the Leviathan, the world will be utterly destroyed. The values of this world will be defeated. And how will that be, be accomplished? Jesus Christ will come as a baby. The already Leviathan has been defeated at the cross. The not yet, his utter complete defeat we await. And that's the point in the pregnant woman who waits for her deliverance. You see, the devil's claim over you is no more if you are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The not yet, the final death blow will take place at the second coming of Christ. He will come again. In the meantime, we worship him now. We will worship him then and we worship him now. It's a call, chapter 27 is a call to reject the city of man, to stop playing around at Christianity, to stop playing around keeping one foot in the city of man and one foot in the city of God, to stop abusing the grace that has been given, to put your faith into action and to actively seek to obey him, to stop pursuing the city of man and all of its lusts and its desires and all that glimmers and its values that dishonor God. And he calls on us to stop. So Ray Ortland Jr. asks the question, how do we stop? He writes, one thing that helps us is to look at the cross of Jesus. If you want to know that the city of man is what the city of man is really committed to, look at the cross. How can you and I kiss up to a system that made its truest statement about God by crucifying him? If you always get along with the world, dead set against the glory of God, what does that say about you? Paul was glad to suffer the loss of all things to gain Christ. He considered his old life so much garbage compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That is the heartbeat of the city of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That passion is clear evidence of citizenship in the city of God. I call on you, church. God's word calls on you to live in the city of man. That's the already. But as you live in the city of man, you live for the city of God. Until that day when he serves the best wine and the city of man will be no more and we live in eternity in and for the city of God. Let's stand together and let's sing to our God.